Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. Sound Reasoning is brought to you by Ace Apologetics and those within the family of, of Christians who believe in the promotion of sound doctrine. So we thank you all for your prayers and your financial support. On this episode, I wanted to talk about the case for the Bible. The case for the Bible. Uh, But before we touch on today's subject, I wanted us to clarify two important uh, subject matters, which is foundational for my argument today in terms of uh, the Bible's historicity, and authorship. The first is the definition of truth. And we define truth as telling something like it is or that which corresponds to its object. The second is the law of non-contradiction. And the law of non-contradiction basically says that two opposite statements cannot be both true at the same time in the same sense. Two opposite statements cannot be both true at the same time in the same sense. How can we properly determine if something is true? Or what is the nature of truth? Well, something can be true even without immediate evidence to support it. Something can still be true even if we don't have immediate evidence at our disposal to support that claim. This argument can be found in a legal system where a defendant from uh, the time they were arrested has proclaimed their innocence and they were still found guilty but later on to be exonerated based on DNA evidence to uh, which proved that they didn't do it. So Even though they said they were innocent in the beginning, they were still accused and later on the verdict was overturned. Uh, We find numerous instances of that. So something can still be true even without immediate evidence to support it. Then secondly, truth is not created, but it is revealed. It's not up to humanity or rather humanity doesn't have the authority to determine what's true. Truth came out of the nature of God and was deposited uh, to us when the universe and the earth was created. So with the creation of the world came truth. So it's not up to us to try to redefine what truth is. Number three, truth is not based on popularity. Truth is not based on popularity. So if God says something, it won't help us to go talk to our friends and to try to bring or to try to develop a consensus to evaluate or to come up with our approval on what God has said. Um, i give you another example. Um, In Nazi Germany, many people believed that the Jews were uh, inferior, 
that they were responsible for the ills of the world and that's why they chose to engage in the Holocaust but remember this was the popular view but it didn't make what they were saying correct that the Jews were innately inferior this is why it was easy for them to treat the prisoners the Jewish prisoners the way that they were treated so again truth is not based on popularity alone uh, unlike politics uh, which always tout the need for political polls to uh, influence the candidate on whether or not they should believe something or not believe it truth is not hinged on what's popular sometimes the truth uh, or believing in the truth will have you in the mon minority. Uh, if you remember uh, when Jesus was arrested and there was a choice between him or Barabbas, the popular thing was to go with the crowd who chose Barabbas. And the truth who was arrested, uh, specifically Jesus Christ, was the one that was crucified. So truth is not based on popularity alone. Uh, we, we, we need to uh, decipher it within the context of the rules which is the commandments of God so again the law of non-contradiction uh, which is based on truth states that two opposite statements cannot be both true at the same time in the same sense as Christians we believe that the Bible is inerrant which means the Bible is without error and we believe that is the Word of God uh, there's internal evidence to support this claim. Second Timothy, for an example, 3.16 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So in other words, the Bible is not only inspired, but the author is God himself. Some say uh, it's God's love letter to humanity. Others may say that is the basic instruction before leaving earth. I've heard that as well. However, despite our belief that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, there are those who don't believe the same thing we believe. Matter of fact, they emphatically reject this view that the Bible is the uh, authentic word of God. And secondly, that the Bible is the only authentic word of God. Uh, we're living in a society where everything about God and the church is being attacked. Uh, God's nature is under attack. God's uh, infinity is under attack. God's eternality is under attack. God's attributes is under attack. Christ is under attack. His humanness is under attack. His divinity is under attack. The doctrine of salvation is also under attack. Uh, the doctrine uh, in terms of uh, the Bible and where it came from is under attack. There are individuals uh, like those who propose or are proponents of the documentary hypothesis argue against the classical theistic view of the Bible. Those who prescribe to the documentary hypothesis, they, are, they, they will argue against the legitimacy of the Old Testament and uh, the some of the beliefs that we've uh, developed in terms of the Old Testament uh, specifically that Moses is the author of the book of Genesis as well as um, Exodus 
Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They reject that he's the sole author. You have individuals such as Jean Ashtruch, uh, who lived in the 17th and 18th century, and uh, also Julius Wellhausen, who followed him. Uh, they argued that Moses was not the sole author of the book of Genesis. It was their contention that there were other authors beside Moses whose works were uh, included in the book of Genesis specifically and even some of the other, uh, other books of the Pentateuch. So you may be asking what proof or what evidence do they have for their position? Well, the truth of the matter is there is no evidence. Th these are all hypotheses uh, created by uh, those skeptics of the Old Testament uh, instead of believing in uh, the uh, evidence for Moses being the sole author they rather believe in uh, a phantom author they claim that the JEPD sources were independent writings by numerous authors interwoven into one in other words they're claiming that there was a J author who this J author is they don't know but this was the author who basically included references to Jehovah uh, in the Old Testament or in the Pentateuch this is why it's called the J uh, source so it's called the Jehovah source then uh, the E source is supposedly the writer again they don't have a name but the individual who inserted uh, the uh, Elohim references in the Pentateuch and Old Testament. Then the P source. Uh, they claim that the P source is the individuals or individual who included information about the priestly uh, things that we find referenced in the Pentateuch. And then the D source. The D source stands for uh, the Deuteronomical information uh, that's included in the Pentateuch. So again, where is the evidence supporting the fact that other writers beside Moses contributed or, or wrote the uh, or wrote some of the uh, verses or some of the passages in the book of Genesis as well as the other four books which comprises uh, the Pentateuch. The evidence is wanton. There is no evidence. These are all hypotheses. So it's important that we um, we know these facts so when we run up against those who believe in the documentary hypotheses uh, based on higher criticism we can uh, respond from a reasonable uh, perspective based on uh, a divine view. So don't be intimidated when you hear about the documentary hypothesis and their view. Also, uh, the docu documentary hypothesis assumes that uh, Moses was not sophisticated enough to write the book of Genesis. However, uh, the late William Lassar, who was the distinguished professor of Old Testament, uh, rejected this claim by the proponents of the documentary hypothesis. Uh, in his book, Survey of the Old Testament, he writes the following. He says, two facts need to be stressed. First, the biblical sources 
and various streams of tradition do concur that Moses wrote narrative, legislative, and poetic literature. Abundant evidence now exists that such diverse abilities in one author were by no means unique to the ancient Near East, even centuries earlier than Moses. So Professor Lasor is basically saying that it's, uh, it's possible for Moses to use those different names for God in his text, as well as to write in a dynamic way, uh, which is evidence in the Pentateuch. So to belittle Moses and to say that he couldn't do it, is to have a prior motive and a presupposition that doesn't uh, gel with the conclusion. So, likewise, uh, the New Testament has its detractors also. Skeptics have spent many, many, many hours uh, arguing and trying to disprove the veracity of the New Testament. We have groups such as the Jesus Seminar who basically deny that the words that we all find in red attributed to Christ, uh, that Jesus did not say most of those words. And what is their evidence? Uh, their evidence, or their conclusion rather, came from their presupposition uh, against the New Testament. So because their presupposition was faulty, their conclusion is also faulty. Uh, they argue that Jesus was just a man. In addition, they reject all of the miracle accounts depicted in the New Testament, including the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you have your mind made up, before you start your research, your conclusion will be faulty. And a lot of these skeptics already have their minds made up, and they're not open to looking at the truth and, uh, or the evidence and having the evidence speak to them. They are speaking to the evidence, and as a result, their evidence... Uh, or their conclusion, rather, is, is faulty. And this is why people like the Jesus Seminar have a problem with the classical theistic view and claims of the New Testament. Some have questioned the historical records found in, in the New Testament. Bertrand Russell, who lived in the late 19th century and died in 19, uh, uh, 1970, challenged the historicity of the New Testament in his book, why I am not a Christian. He writes, Historically, it is quite doubtful whether Christ ever existed at all. And he says, If he did, we do not know anything about him. So that I'm not concerned with the historical question, which is a very difficult one. Another challenge to the Orthodox view of the New Testament is the rise of the New Atheism. Individuals such as Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawkins boldly challenged the truthfulness uh, of the Bible or the New Testament. Dawkins in his book The God Delusion writes the following, Notwithstanding his somewhat dodgy family values, Jesus' ethical teachings were at least by comparison with the ethical disaster area that is the Old Testament, Old Testament admirable. But there are other teachings in the New Testament that no good person should support. I refer especially to the central doctrine of Christianity, that of atonement for original sin. He says this teaching, which lies at the heart of the New Testament theology, is almost as morally obnoxious as the story of Abraham setting out to barbecue Isaac, which it resembles, and that is no accident, at Giza Vermes, 
makes clear in the, it clear in the changing phases of Jesus. Original sin itself comes straight from the Old Testament myth of Adam and Eve. So this is Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion. A uh, uh, God Delusion. So we as Christians must be ready to answer uh, objections against the Bible. So what should we believe? Should we acquiesce to the persuasive rhetoric of those uh, with degrees and uh, 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 influence? Or should we remain faithful to the orthodox teachings of the Bible? The answer is the latter. We must remain faithful to the teachings associated with classical theism, not out of blind faith, but because the evidence weighs more to our favor than the skeptics. The skeptics, again, already have a prior bias against God, which often prevents them from uh, ascertaining and, get, uh, and learning the truth. The Bible can be trusted, and it is the hallmark of our Christian faith. In support of the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, Karl Reiner writes, From the doctrine that the Scripture is inspired theology, and the official doctrine of the church derives the thesis that Scripture is inerrant, which means free from error, we can certainly say with the Second Vatican Council, therefore, since everything asserted by the inspired authors or sacred writers must be considered to be asserted by the Holy Spirit, we must profess of the books of Scripture that they teach with certainty, with fidelity, and without error the truth which God wanted recorded in the sacred writings for the sake of our salvation. And that was uh, written during the Second uh, uh, Vatican Council. So why trust the Bible? I believe that uh, the, uh, the following things that I'm getting ready to talk about would help you as uh uh, Christians to be emboldened and to feel confident that we have uh, the message that God wants us to have uh, for all of humanity. So, number one, uh, you should trust the Bible because the uh, the writers were of good character and were not liars. Uh, Paul, for an example, claimed there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and 6. Uh, the writers were transparent. Uh, they, uh, based on the uh, historical documents we have, they were not delusional. Uh, they were not drunk. These were uh, uh, men of, uh, of good character. And they were telling the truth. So the writers were of good character and not liars. Secondly, the writings of the New Testament are close in proximity to the actual events. Historians will tell you that the further away you get from the actual events, the more um, problems you have with people's memories and uh, people getting the facts incorrect. But the Bible manuscripts, uh, compared to other ancient writer, writings, are the closest in terms of proximity to the actual events, more so than other ancient documents. So we should be confident that we have the real deal in terms of God's message to humanity. Uh, the John Ryland fragment, for an example, supports biblical accounts due to his date. Adolf Deismann believed it was written in the first century. If this is the case, then it further proves the authenticity of the Gospel of John as an example. Uh, thirdly, 
There are numerous archaeological findings that support the veracity of the Bible. One of the greatest finds was the John Ryland fragment, which is called P-52. Uh, Dr. Norman Geisler, who is a great Christian apologist and one of my mentors, writes that this papyrus, the John Ryland fragment, contained five verses from the Gospel of John. It was found in Egypt and is dated between A.D. 117 and 138. One of the many benefits, as you can see from archaeology, is that archaeology can substantiate some of the historical claims of the Bible. Uh, please note that even without archaeology, the Bible is still true in its biblical claim. So we cannot deny the existence uh, of the discoveries but uh, in terms of archaeology, but sometimes we have to look at the, uh, the conclusion and see if it's factual, if it's true, or uh, if it's someone else's uh, bias leading to the uh, overall claim. Now, for uh, many years, uh, skeptics uh, scoffed at the Bible, claiming that uh, there was an, uh, the city of Nineveh did not exist. However, in the middle of the 19th century, uh, Sir Austin Laird unearthed the whole city of Nineveh. So again, that is, this is uh, facts to buttress your belief in the Bible. Then the Pool of Bethesda, uh, under archaeology again, was unearthed. Um, and, and it's still there today. You can go and uh, take a look at it. Until the 19th century, many people believed John's description was inaccurate. And we now know that uh, they're inaccurate in their view that it did not exist. So Bethesda had been unearthed. Then the Chester Beatty Papyri is also another example of how archaeology harmonizes with biblical accounts. These groups of manuscripts contain both the Old and New Testament passages. They are dated within the 3rd century. So again, these are uh, just facts that you can uh, use to feel confident that uh, the Bible is the legitimate word of God. Then the fulfillment of various prophecies in history strengthens, should strengthen one's faith in the Bible. The Bible claims that have come into fruition, uh, for an example, uh, should, uh, uh, should make you know that God is true to what he says and uh, these claims, uh, the ability to prophesy and, it, and for those things to come to pass, authenticate God's messenger as well as God's message, which is really a definition of miracles. Uh, but those prophetic claims uh, should embolden you also. Then lastly, uh, I think looking at the volume of manuscripts support what we as Christians um, have claimed. Um, if you compare our manuscripts to other ancient writings, we have way more manuscripts than any other ancient writings. So Homer, or the writings for Homer uh, as an example, uh, we only have 643 manuscripts from Homer. Um, Caesar is only 10. Herodotus is only 8. But New Testament, we have over 6,000 manuscripts. And the more manuscripts you have, the more uh, or better chance you have to get at the truth. So I hope uh, this episode has helped you in your faith as it pertains to the Bible and its veracity 
and um, and, and the position the Bible plays in our lives as believers. So don't let uh, the skeptics and the scoffers uh, get away with some of their ridicule and some of their rhetoric. Uh, stand up and uh, research and, and respond accordingly and uh, make sure that uh, you are leaning on the Holy Ghost as you are sharing with these various individuals. I pray that this episode has been a blessing. Continue to pray for us as we attempt to share sound doctrine to all people uh, who need the information of the gospel. Praise God and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.